Hey guys, it's Jessica. Welcome back to the Pineapple Podcast Stories of Infertility. You are listening to episode 15 called Eli. So I'm super excited about today's guest. Today is my first male that I'm having on the podcast. Um, Eli is a therapist who lives on the East Coast, and he reached out wanting to share the male point of view, and I jumped at the opportunity to talk to him, especially coming from me, who has male factor infertility. That's what my husband and I um, are diagnosis, if you will, and so I've, I've been super curious about the male perspective of infertility. So I hope you guys enjoy. I really enjoyed this conversation. He had so many awesome pieces of advice, both as a husband's perspective and then also as a therapist's perspective. So without further ado, here is Eli's fertility story. Thanks for doing this. I'm excited to talk with you and get your, your perspective. You're my first guy that I'm talking to. Oh, I love being that. So I'm excited, especially because we're very... we're the male factor piece. So I I want to hear from the guy's point of view what it's. It's very interesting that that's one of the reasons why I got into that. But we'll talk about that, I guess, afterward during it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So basically, we'll just start at the beginning. Maybe tell me a little bit about you and your wife, how you guys met, um, and then we'll go from there. Perfect. Um, my wife and I, we met through, we used to work in a youth organization, um, called NCSY. It's a Jewish youth organization. And I definitely fought to date her. I, I chased after her cause I thought she was the cutest, uh, wonderful spirited woman, um, which I was right. She is great. <laughs> and, uh, she turned me down a couple of times, but, uh, after some urging and persuasion from her friends, um, we're now married. So I guess it worked out. Yeah. But my wife, yeah, right. It's all, it's all <laughs> worth the fight. Um, yeah. But I know that through, in the beginning, my wife knew in high school or the college that she was, she was diagnosed with PCOS. Okay. So there's always something in the back of our mind to tell us that something could be wrong. But like I learned through this process and getting involved in the infertility community, that no PCOS is the same. Yeah. And it happened to be that we were trying for a couple of months, almost a year. And, um, we said, you know what, let's not drag this out. Let's not suffer through multiple years of doing this. Let's go right to a specialist. And that's when our infertility journey all started. Did you know anything about PCOS when she told you, or were you like, okay, so what does that mean? As a guy, (laughs) I knew what periods were. I knew what PMS was (laughs) and I knew other acronyms, but I had no idea what PCOS was. I never even heard of that. Um, growing up, I didn't, didn't, I don't know. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. How did you, did you, did you do like research at all or did she kind of know what to expect? Well, she helped me understand what it meant. I did my own research and under, try to understand better what that truly meant. Um, and it actually runs in her family, which is Mm -hmm. common. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, just kind of opened my eyes to a different world of infertility and PCOS as a whole. Mm-hmm. What was that, those beginning stages, like when you um, said, okay, let's go see what's up. What did that look like? 
it was really actually a lot of unknown and just searching, searching for the right doctor, the one who would maybe take insurance, the one who would be do this and do that. And also it was about my wife actually happened to look on ZocDoc to find an opening, just the, op the closest thing because there were the classic ones, like I'm from a uh, Orthodox Jewish community and there were classic doctors that everyone goes to um, because this is a one in like six or seven, infertility is a one in six or one in seven ratio of uh, people uh, or couples in this world. So <clears throat> they were booked for like three, four months. Wow. We're like, we're not waiting. Like this yeah. is important. So let's get this started now. So it actually was just looking at ZocDoc, finding a doctor near her work. She works at a hospital in, in the city, in New York City. And so that's really what it got down to. And once we started meeting with a doctor, it was more just about knowledge, understanding what the process could be and educating ourselves on where to go from there. Mm -hmm. So what did, what did they say in that first meeting or what did that, what was that first meeting like for you? They were so understanding. They were so nice, but definitely my assumption coming into the whole process was this idea of this is my wife's issue, mm. not mine. Um, that was my assumption as a male and a husband that, oh, she's the one who's supposed to get pregnant. I'm right. the one, she's the one who has PCOS. It can't be me. Mm -hmm. um, but it was more, the doctors and the nurses were so great and wonderful. Awesome. Um, and they were really just respectful. But of course, they did all the tests on her first and poked and prodded her um, while I held her hand and was supportive and, and there for her. And when they found it was her issue, they then turned to me and said, okay, it's your turn. And I said, what, what do you mean it's my turn? They didn't say it like that, of course. But like, yeah. they said, okay, now let's, <laughs> Let's talk to you. And I said, yeah. well, it can't be me. You know, I'm, 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 I'm fine. Yeah. And, and finally we had a conversation. I said, okay, let's do it. And um, it was awkward. Mm -hmm. Like the test for the woman is a lot of poking and prodding and needles and blood work for the guy. It's like masturbating in a cup. Yeah. And like, did you have to do blood work too though? Did they do like, any of that? Yeah, they took, they took, they took blood work as well. Um, okay. But like to go into like a random bathroom with like pornography magazines and like, everyone knew that room was for that. And like, yeah. you're walking with a cup down the hallway in like a brown bag. It's like yeah. a very weird experience, mm -hmm. um, but for a good cause. Like it's for an important thing to understand and came back that it was also part, partly me. So that kind of, I was, I was, that really, you know, shook me more than my wife having an issue that I expected because of her PCOS. But when it was turned on yeah. me as well, I was taken aback and totally shaken by the, by the whole process. Yeah. Did you, um, was it like, no, not a big deal. I mean, I know like the process is awkward and uncomfortable, but were you pretty on board with doing your piece of it? Or was it like, I don't really want to do that. Like, why do we have to well, do my piece of it? <laughs> or did they not give you a choice? Yeah. No, there were two <laughs> parts of it that were coming at play. It was like the religious aspect of masturbation. Okay. And also the same time of playing my part as a husband in this process. And Can you tell me a little bit more about the religious piece? Sure. So yeah. in the Jewish religion, as the Christian religion and other religion, masturbation is kind of looked frowned upon and, and you know, a sin. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. people don't do it. Doesn't mean it's not a natural thing of life. And I spoke to a rabbi who is in my community, who I find very down to earth, modern, normal, who I love dearly, who my wife and I got married by him. I asked him and he said to me, this is about life. This is about future life. 
as long as you do it with that mindset, you're doing mm-hmm. it for that, then it's totally okay. Because mm-hmm. this is, of course, you know, I'm not giving a general statement for all Jews out there in the world. But mm-hmm. um, it was a very, I would say, it, it kind of made me appreciate his perspective as a rabbi, as a religious Jew, looking at it and going, no, this is about something important. And, um, and then it was just my comfortability. The second part was like, this is weird. Like, yeah. I'm in this weird room and like it, the door's locked and they said, take your time. You know, it was like, just this weird thing. I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then you mentioned that then you, like your results came into play as well. Do you yeah, mind sharing like a, what that was, what course, that meant? Of course. Um, I'm very open about any questions, as you can see, uh, talk about masturbation. Why not? That's how um, we are too. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, I'll, I'll talk about it. whatever. You gotta be open about it. It's the only way to get this conversation going is to be open. Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, I had low motility. Okay. And, and I don't know if it was, I know definitely a hundred percent it was low motility, which for people who don't know what that is, it's, it's the speed and, and force of the sperm itself to get where it needs to go. Um, and I'm not sure if it was numbers as well. But the crazy thing, and I don't know if people have this, have this experience just in general of getting pregnant without infertility issues, the doctor, after having my wife's issues and my issues in his hands, sat down and explained the numbers to us about how many sperm, how many eggs there are, the process, where it needs to go. Like I took biology in high school, but to understand just the miracle and the, the amount of perfection it needs to take yeah. for you to just get pregnant when everyone's healthy. Yep. The the timing, the numbers and everything, that blew my mind. Yeah. I was sitting there looking at my wife and going, how does anyone get pregnant? Yeah. And she started laughing. and It's like 20% every month, right? Yeah. Something crazy like that. Yeah. And that all the sperm and the amount, the perfect one has to actually get there and do your, I was like, well, of course it's a struggle. And then on top of that, you have infertility issues, even harder. Right. So it was just, and that's why, you know, I'm not, I don't know if you were going to ask this. Um, but there was an option of trying IUI first. Okay. That was going to be my but, next question. What was yeah, the kind doc- of the plan? The doctor said, you can pay a lot of money and do IUI. It's probably not going to work because of the low motility of your husband. Let's just do the IVF and just get right to the point. He says, I'm not forcing it. I will try it as many times as you want. But if you want to spend your money and get your most bang for your buck, the IVF is going to get you a better result. It doesn't mean it's going to work. It just right. means the statistics of it working are a higher rate than doing IUI, specifically with uh, my wife's issues. Uh, basically, it was like a hormonal issue. Basically, her, the, the way he explained it was that her brain's speakers weren't loud enough for her ovaries to produce enough. They weren't listening hmm. uh, to the ovaries. Basically, the brain was saying produce and the hormones, pump hormones, pump hormones, but the body was not picking up the signal as well. Okay. So we tried medication and, we tried the sh- and then we did the shots and all that kind of fun stuff until it kind of yeah. worked out. Yeah. Was there any, or is there any, how does the Jewish faith feel about like assisted reproductive technology? Um, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a emotional, I'm a therapist. So I'm actually an emotional support staff for a Jewish run organization called PUA, P-U-A-H. That's, okay. And there's many, there's like three or four big organizations right now in the Jewish community um, okay. for infertility. It is very supported. It is very, awesome. of course, I can't speak for all sects of Judaism, uh-huh. but I know for, for the circles that I'm in the modern Orthodox Orthodox community, I can't speak for the ultra Orthodox. I'm not involved in that world, but mm-hmm. I know that there is a lot of push that if you need help, it is totally okay. Um, 
to get the help you need for medicine um, because in the Jewish religion, having children is, is really integral to like the faith as a whole regarding mm-hmm. holidays and, yeah. and the passing on for future generations and all that stuff. It's so integral. It's actually a commandment to, to, to what's it called? To pass on for generation okay. to generation. It's one of the biggest commandments is uh, to be fruitful and prosper. Okay. So if that's the biggest commandment is life. Yeah. It should be supported. So it's just very interesting that you asked that question. It's a great, yeah. great question. Yeah. Was there any like guilt then of, oh my gosh, like we are struggling to do this and this is such a thing for our faith? 100%. Um, you know, as a young Jewish couple, there is this like expectation of having children earlier or often or depending on your circles and your and your financial abilities, of course, and if uh, birth control and all that kind of complex and, um, and mix and matches of issues. But when it comes down to it, you know, walking around in synagogue on, on Sabbath and seeing, you know, half your friends are already pregnant, you know, two yeah. years into marriage, and you're just sitting there going like, okay. And then they're already now, now that we've had our first, they're already on their second or third. It's just yeah. like, there is a pressure and there is this kind of thing of, well, when are you going to have a baby? Or if my wife gained weight, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, you're not pregnant. Like that looking at the belly and, and which I think yeah. is inappropriate for any circle and no one should do that to any woman uh, yeah. because it's inappropriate. Um, look at my belly all you want. Stare at it. Okay. But don't look at <laughs> any woman's belly. But when it comes down to, it, there is a big pressure and a lot of like things around the holidays it gets very emotional when you see your brothers and sisters and cousins and they all have kids and everyone's, you know, it, it, it's, it's sometimes very hard. Yeah. Do you guys come from big families? My, no, we don't. I wish I did. Um, but my parents had, um, you know, struggles getting pregnant as well. My okay. mother had a few miscarriages between my brother and I, and my, my, my mom was told to not have kids after me because it was just too dangerous mm. Oh, wow. for her. Uh, my mom, there's three daughters in the family, in my, my wife's family. So uh, I come from cousins. I have a lot of cousins, but just my immediate family, not very big. Mm. That probably makes you want kids even more if you wanted to come from a bigger family too. Yeah. 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 That's hard. I'm not saying, I'm not saying five to 10. I'm talking about like three <laughs> or four. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going crazy. I'm not made of money. It's, you know. <laughs> um, so in that conversation, you said you guys decided, okay, let's do IVF. Let's go down mm-hmm. that path. So I've heard from a lot of women about what the IVF experience is like. I'm really curious what it was like to watch your wife giving shots, or maybe you were the one who gave her the shots. Were you the one? I gave her, you were the, giver? I gave her okay. the shot. My wife is not good <clears throat> with um, shots and, and pain. Um, not ever. I hope, you know, people don't enjoy that if you do. Okay. But um, <laughs> I had to give her the shots and it was very painful. Um, it's like every night, for I think three or four months, bef- three months before the transfer. And then I think it's three months after the transfer mm-hmm. every day. Um, and it, it's very, it's very agonizing to watch your spouse who you love and care for go through pain for something that has so much hope attached to it and it might not work. So I know that we went through two cycles. Okay. Yeah. Maybe tell, tell me about your guys's IVF cycles. So we went went through two cycles. The first cycle failed. um, And we found out actually afterwards, we should have done, so we actually did genetic testing on the rest of the embryos and they actually threw out a few that were not genetically sound. And they Mm. felt that the one that was actually implanted in my wife before genetic testing probably was not genetically fully sound to last. So that kind of weeded out the unhealthy 
um, not sustainable um, embryos. And then the second transfer ended up working. Um, and now we have a, a, over a little bit of a one-year-old um, mm-hmm. going to sleep soon, hopefully. <laughs> so you guys did one like egg retrieval and then two transfers. Yeah. So we did one okay. egg retrieval. Um, and not everyone has their own experience with egg retrievals. I know for my wife, it was really torturous because you have to like go on a full bladder and, um, and wait. And then they, they like, they put you under wife doesn't do so well with anesthesia so afterwards she was really just not feeling well and just in a lot of pain and and uh, they actually got a lot of, of eggs and embryos and and um and fertilized them and it was wonderful some couples only get two some couples get five we had i think like 30 something wow. we're just crazy we're just crazy because yeah. if the hormone if, if the hormones just worked okay then that would have been that would have been one part of the equation that would have been okay Right. Really, it worked. Clearly, my wife's body works, right? Um, which is beautiful to see, and a, yeah. a very big relief that we had options um, mm-hmm. and uh, opportunities for future if we needed. And now you have a, an adorable little girl. Yes, she's, <laughs> she's very yummy. <laughs> um, how was all of it? And I mean, I would imagine you're still kind of working through it, especially if you want more kids. Just your relationship through it all. Yeah, you know, my wife and I are very self-aware and, and have great communication. It's one of our biggest strengths. And I think one of the biggest keys for couples <clears throat> is the idea of, of giving space, space for both people in the couple. Sorry for the dogs are barking. That's okay. Um, one second, I'm going to, we're going inside. Um, one go. of the biggest things is for leaving space for both people in the, in the relationship. Whether it's one person or both people that are suffering with infertility, it's both you're both in it because it's one common goal of getting, of having a family. So mm-hmm. it is about creating that space for each person to express themselves, to feel the feels, to feel the pain, to feel resentment, to feel frustration, to feel um, sadness and joy when things work out. Um, and that there was that mutual respect for each other and being there for each other. And I think for us, it actually strengthened our relationship relying on each other more because we kind of kept it to a very close circle of who knew we did really rely on each other for that uh, mental health support that we needed for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I actually, most of the people that I've talked to have said the same thing and I feel the same way, like with my husband and I, um, that it did kind of strengthen. I mean, you go through this huge thing together that it definitely changes your relationship, I think in a, in a positive way. Unfortunately, it's like a horrible thing that you're going through, but it it does do something, something positive. I've said to him, like, I feel like we've made decisions that a lot of people who've been married for like years never had to make. And we've been married, not even two years. (laughs) So it it gets, it gets you to be very mature, very fast at a young age or whatever age you're at and push feelings ahead of what they might come out ever in a relationship. Like, what conversation would I ever have was, will we ever have a family? Should we adopt? Will we have, you know, what will we be? What if we never can have kids? Will we ever last? Like these real conversations that you don't assume when you're dating or getting engaged or married to even talk about ever. Mm-hmm. So I think for the, the ability to have those conversations in a loving, understanding, respectful way can really promote such great communication and great strength between the two of you and become the rocks that you need for each other. It doesn't yeah. mean that there won't be moments of frustration and moments of inability, 
But I have this discussion a lot with my wife and other people that also it's about making sure to take care of yourself because there is this compassion fatigue of how much can I keep giving before I refill myself and be able to take care of myself. So it's also knowing and being communicative with your spouse to say, you know what, I need a little space right now. I, I care about you. I love you. I want to be with you and I want to help you, but I need to go, you know, do whatever I need to recharge so that mm-hmm. when you, I can be a hundred percent for you when you need me. And that's also important to, to kind of create that space as well. Yeah. As a therapist, did you guys ever utilize therapy as a resource? We did not because we felt um, that we were okay, mm-hmm. but we didn't like say no to it. It wasn't that we were yeah. like against it. You know, I, as a therapist, I'm totally on board with therapy. I think it's very important. Yeah. I think I would be very weird if I wasn't as a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I want to get paid for it, but don't do it. Um, so I think it's really important if you need that to get someone to be like the referee or in between for someone who's struggling to communicate. But we had such good communication. I know my wife really used a lot of support groups on social media and friends that have gone through this. I, on the other hand, didn't find that because male infertility isn't really talked about as much, which is why I started posting on Elevation about it and talking about it and getting involved in infertility and being on podcasts like yours that I love are doing this so much because it's so important because to find voices of the male perspective on this, whether you are going through infertility or you're not and your spouse is, is so integral because I really felt lost and alone um, and I'm finding out more now that I'm actually involved in the world and looking into it more, but it really was a little lonely because my, it's like a very intimate thing to have conversations with your friend about what goes on in your bedroom. So to have that conversation with a buddy and go, Hey, so we're going through infertility. What do you think about that? It's, it's not so easy to have a conversation with someone. And I did have a few friends, but mostly my wife got a lot of support from friends and social media, um, which I think was very helpful for her. And she needed a lot more than I did. You like answered my questions I was going to ask you. Um, No, that's okay. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, that piece of how there is not really any talk of male infertility. Um, Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's multiple reasons. I think one, men don't like talking about things that are like feelings and emotions. Um, I don't agree with that. I'm very much proponent and I like talking about my feelings and how it affects me. But I do think there's this like underlying thing of like, if I talk about my feelings and who knows what I'll be judged, I'll be vulnerable. Oh no, the world's going to end. Um, and I think also on top of that, I think it's less unknown. Like my assumption going into the fertility clinic was this is not going to be my issue. This is the woman's issue. So I think that also adds to the, the complexity of it to think that men probably don't go through it, even though in reality, I think statistically, I think it's like 33% of the issues are men. Yeah. So like, that's a big number. Yeah. So it is happening, but men are like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Don't, don't look at me. So I think that's where really where it comes from. Mm-hmm. What do you think a good way for a man who's going through it to get support would be? Do you know so of I anything think, now? Yeah. So one from the spouse, if they can, two from a therapist. And I think if you just look online, I know, I, I know there are a few, ther- a few, few like influencers, whatever you want to call them, on Instagram out there who are on social media who are really promoting and talking about it. But I don't know of like a lot of organizations or companies that are mainly focused on male infertility. I know there's a guy in the UK, his name is the man, he calls himself the man cave. Yeah, I follow him. Mm-hmm. He's great. Um, 
Uh, there's a, a focused fatherhood. I think he's in America. I think also he talks about infertility and fatherhood. I think there are bits and pieces here and there, but I think the, let's say just the world of social media, it is more dominated from a female, female perspective, whether it's yeah. self-help, motivation, inspiration, and infertility, uh, which I think is great. Um, but also there needs to be a lot of other voices for other things and other perspectives. And uh, I don't really know. I don't really know. I still haven't found like a big company or thing that just solely focuses on male infertility. Yeah. It almost feels like it needs to be like education, like start at the root cause of it of just people not being yeah. educated on what, on like you Very said, true. when you went and met with your doctor and you had no clue that that's really all that went into it. Yeah. Where if you had known that, then maybe you would have gone, oh, okay, I'm a big piece of this and this is what needs to happen. And who knows? Yeah. And like, theoretically, I knew that because I know what biology is and what needs to happen to have a right. baby. But just the mathematics and just logistics of it was just not on my radar whatsoever. I don't think my biology class ever covered the statistics and what really goes on. But I don't think teenagers want to hear about that. So I'm just like yeah. hard. I took biology yeah, in ninth grade. It wasn't like, why would we talk about that? You know? Yeah. And when I had the sex talk to my parents, why would they talk about that? It just, yeah. like, why would, why would you? I think yeah. people, before they get married, I think it should be more an education when people are getting engaged and getting married or even trying to have kids. Yeah. We actually, so I, we got married in the Catholic church and we had to do like a, like a four week or five week course yeah. before we got married. And yeah. I mean, the Catholic church is definitely more maybe hush hush about assisted reproductive stuff. Um, but that would have been such a perfect time to have this conversation. Um, cause we yeah. had no clue that this was going to be a thing that we were dealing with. And then especially it being hit like his body, like we, I, I heard his diagnosis and I was like, what even is that? I didn't even know that was like a, existed. Um, yeah. So just knowing about it, at least having yeah. it on the radar would be like so helpful. I agree with you. I think in the Jewish world, there is this, um, thing that you do before you get married. It's called grooming. There's a Hebrew word for it, but it's like bride and groom classes where you meet with like the, the, the groom meets with a rabbi and a bride meets with a, a woman and they discuss like the, 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 the rules and laws of marriage and all those kind of things, the ins and outs of sex and all that kind of stuff from a religious and Jewish perspective. Great. Laida. Wonderful. But the rabbi who I love dearly, who I have asked many questions about when it comes to this, the rabbi I spoke about before, didn't bring this up because... I, I, I've always wanted to ask him, never had the guts to, even though I love him dearly and we have a very good relationship, but mm -hmm. it's more of like, I don't think it's assumed that you're going to have that. Yeah. So why, why talk about it? Right. But I think there needs to be a change of discussion. Not that it means that to fear, put fear in your heart and say, you might not have kids, but to say, you know, it just might not, you know, it's not assumed that you get married and have children. Ta-da, hooray. It yeah. might be a struggle. It might not be so easy. So just to put that on people's radar, I think would be very helpful. I agree with you. Yeah. Did you guys have friends who were going through this as well or who went through this who you could talk to? Yeah, not that we knew of at the beginning, but when my wife started reaching out to friends and they were like, oh, yeah, I had a miscarriage. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, you know we, there was one couple that I'm very close with, my wife and I, uh, we knew had a miscarriage. Um, because we we're very close to them and just it was very obvious that she was pregnant one day and then she wasn't um which was very very heartbreaking for all of us as a friend group mm -hmm. but i know that my wife had a few friends who through college have told her that they have pcos or or you know 
when we were talking, going through this, reached out to some friends just to talk and have support from girlfriends um, that they went through infertility issues as well. And some people just took medication and, and then the hormones reassessed, reass reset mm -hmm. and other people had to go through uh, infertility treatment, IUI and other, but it was very interesting to see like the dominoes fall by asking a simple question um, that was very, that's very hard to ask, but how many doors it opened. And even when I started posting on social media, the comments and the message I got from guys in the community are like, oh my gosh, I'm going through infertility too. Like, oh wow, I didn't know you went through infertility. My cousin's going through infertility. Oh wow, I have three friends who are struggling with infertility. Like, it like, takes like yeah. one voice to start yeah. this whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like I'm any like, you know, hero, but just that's all it takes is just like these kind of podcasts and these kind of conversations. You don't know who's going to listen where in the world to go, maybe I should reach out to that person. Maybe they would understand. Maybe they can be a support. Maybe this person could talk to me. Maybe they know resources. Maybe they have a clinic. Like just that's all it takes is just making it less stigmatized and less so worrisome about judgment when there are so many people going through it, but some people are so many some people are afraid to just talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, so speaking of like um, your social media and creating your Instagram, did that start because of this, or were you already doing that and then it? kind of evolved and now includes infertility stuff. so i started before just because i'm a therapist and i think adding like uh some relatable digestible mental health advocacy and awareness i think is just instead of looking at me as a, like this like statistical research-based human being like therapy can be human so i started mm -hmm. that kind of stuff for about a year and then when the infertility started happening i started talking about that more and kind of refocused my my purpose and my goal um, about maybe some posts or some honesty or some stories that I would might might not have never talked about beforehand if I didn't go through that experience. If I just had experience of having a baby, I would about infertility at all. So it's just interesting how that kind of shapes and changes your perspective. Yeah, and you said right now you're working for a clinic, right? So I work I work at a, a clinic, a, 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 like a mental health clinic, but okay. I also work as an emotional support staff. Um, for a uh, a, religious, a Jewish infertility organization. What does that um, service look like? That sounds really awesome. Like to have that at your at a yeah. It really opened my eyes, you know, to sit there and and understand how many mixes and matches of in, of infertility issues there are in the men, in the women, and just to hear the painful struggles. Um, and I know this might be, it might be a little sad to say, but to feel kind of blessed sometimes that our issue wasn't as bad. Yeah. And also to feel some kind of sense of guilt that we didn't go through as much and we still had infertility and, and, and look at us like survival's kind of like survival guilt. But at the yeah. same time, working with some couples, um, it is very humbling to mm -hmm. help those and to give the support that someone might need in the in a very low time in their marriage and relationship. Is that a service that is um, just offered to anybody who's a part of that organization? Um, so it, the organization, I, I only know it because like, I, I only realized it because the rabbi in the synagogue that I go to in my community is the head of, is the head of the organization. So I only heard of it like because of that. And we happened to speak to him a couple of times about issues and, and laws and, and regulations and viewpoints and perspectives and just picking his brain. 
Um, but anyone can find it. But I, I feel like, like I, I don't mean to say this in a bad way. I, I probably wouldn't search a Catholic infertility, you know, yeah, uh, support yeah. <laughs> organization. But it's open to me if I wanted to reach out. I'm sure they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I hope they wouldn't deny me. And same thing goes for the this organization. Um, mm-hmm. It's not offered through the mental health clinic that I work at. Um, I do do that work with couples, and it is okay. like one of one of the things that I list as my specialty or my focus. Um, if I if I when I make a Psychology Today account or any account that I make for mental health referrals, that will be one of my focuses is relationships and infertility or um, those kind of health issues. But okay. the organization I work for is just a community organization, um, okay. a worldwide organization. And if you look for, you can find it. Just if you're not in the world of the Jewish world, you wouldn't have known about it. You know, kind of yeah, thing. yeah, that's great though. That that's offered to those people, like people in your community. That's awesome. I think people just need anyone and everyone needs support for something. Yeah. So you know, when it comes down to it, if it's there, you can find it on Google or search it or uh, hear from friends or uh, people, in the, you know, by word of mouth. But it really is important for all these kind of organizations to exist. Yeah. We touched on it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could just maybe give like advice for a couple who is going through this, like maybe one or two things that they can do um, to support them in this kind of difficult time. So, so like you asked before about the couples therapy, I think if you feel that you need that, it's not a shame, it's not any shame or weakness. It just means you need extra help communicating and expressing yourself. Uh, in a less judgmental and more loving TLC way. The second thing I would say is that the idea of intimacy does not have to be stuck to the bedroom. It doesn't mean I'm talking about that you should have sex everywhere in the house. That's not what I mean. But intimacy is not bound by sex. Intimacy can be bound by the deepness between the two of you. Um, It doesn't matter what combination or sexual orientation you are. Intimacy can be deeper than just sex. Um, It could be about having moments together date night. Um, try to create some normal senior life that isn't surrounded about infertility because sometimes when you're in it, you're in infertility, everything is just connected to it. Every moment, yeah. every little thing, it kind of triggers or points at the, in, at the infertility, but it's more about taking away from it and pulling away from it to get a break uh, with each other. It's important to get space in, from, in, as an individual, but it's also really important to come together as a couple and find that space for yourself as well of uh, devoid of infertility issues. That is such a good point. Cause I, the other day I was like thinking back to us pre like trying to get pregnant was so different now, literally like everything we talk about, I mean, granted we're like knee deep in our cycle in our like IVF cycle right now, but still it's just, that's like the center of our world and it's just yeah. changed. It's like, that is such a good When's point. the shot? When's the cycle? When's the ovulate? Yeah. All about what we got to do now. Here's the timing. Well, you have to do this and there's the procedure. It's all about that. But sometimes taking a moment like to buy a a stupid coloring book and just sit and just draw in the living room or sit down and watch your favorite movie or do something silly or ridiculous um, that is nothing to do with sex, nothing to do with cycle, nothing to do with infertility. But just the two of you as a loving couple is can go a lot, a lot stronger and longer than a lot of other things would help. Yeah, totally. Um, I think my last question is what, um, well, I guess the first thing is, were you guys open with your family during the process? Was that where you guys open like yeah, we're, in the middle we're, of it? We have a very, we have a very good relationship with our, both our parents and, and siblings. 
So it wasn't like the second we found out, we were like, oh, that's it, let's talk to everyone. Um, I think we spoke to our parents first, just because that's a natural reaction for yeah. a most healthy child-to-parent relationship is you run back to your parents. No matter how old you are, you're a parent for life, so you call your parents, mommy, daddy, whatever it is, <laughs> and you tell them the struggle. But we started talking to our siblings. I know that I spoke to my brother, who is not the most communicative person, but who I know loves me and I love him. He's like six years older than me, so it's a weird relationship sometimes. But I know that he's there for me forever and anything. So we talked about that a little bit. He was very supportive and very loving. Helped me vent about how to be supportive for my wife when I needed it. Um, I know my wife found support from her siblings. Um, One of them's married. uh, One of them's still single. So it was just interesting, the mix and match. But definitely, we didn't like put a banner in in our foreheads and say we have infertility issues. Mm-hmm. But definitely, we then branched out to talk to some friends, our closest okay. friends, uh, about it. Um, yeah, we, we did that. I like to ask people that I talk to if there was anything, like, really supportive that those outside, that that outside circle did for you guys during that. Um, I hear a lot of, don't do this or don't do this. But I like to give people who have a loved one going through this idea is what they can do. So is there anything that you remember that was like, Oh, that was like so helpful or felt so good. I think, I think the greatest moment for for me was just having someone who wasn't involved, give us empathy and sympathy and love and a space to vent and talk. Um, Because there is a sense of grief. There is a sense of loss um, about it. So if someone died in the family, you would give someone that space. So it was really about having those friends who said to us, like, we know you're going through a cycle. Can we make you dinner this week? Like something so simple that, you know, we're so stressed and so overwhelmed, but because they knew they reached out and said, can we help you with something in the house? Whether it was a family, like a family were paying for dinner for us to go out or something simple, like uh, going to the movies and paying for it, even though we can afford it, you know, how much does that cost? But just the the sense of just being there for someone um, in their time of grief and loss and pain, um, I think was so much more powerful than any other thing, any other organization did, was people who had their children or had their normal life to be able to love us and give us care and a space of understanding. That was really went a long way for us. Yeah, I love what you said, how it's grief and if it was a different kind of grief, like somebody dying, how would people support in that? And it's the same thing. I, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anything else you want to share? Anything I just really think, like? I really want to thank you for one, having me on your podcast and just yeah. bring more awareness to this. And I, and I wish the best to your husband and, and uh, if he ever needs to talk to a guy, I'm always here. <laughs> thank you. But, but, uh, I, but I say that with my full heart, I'm not just saying that just because I really believe that. Um, but I also think that if you need to talk to someone, also here for you if you need a chat. But I think it's what you're doing is so powerful and so important because if it just helps one couple or one person to know there's someone out there going through it and the ability to have an audience listen to you, I think is unbelievable. And it's just, uh, I'm very much inspired in awe of what you're doing. I really, really admire it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, I want you to be able to share where people can find you. So do you want to include your um, information? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on elevation.org uh, is my website. Um, I just launched a new podcast called The Dude Therapist. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's a male pers- 
perspective as a therapist in the self-help world. And uh, you can find me at elevation underscore therapist or, uh, and reach out whenever you need and talk about anything. Awesome. And I'll tag you in, um, in it too. So people can find you that way as well. Awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Eli, thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on the podcast to talk to me. As I was editing the episode, I caught myself like nodding and agreeing with so many of the things that you were saying. Um, and I just feel like it was such a helpful conversation. So I really appreciate it. And for all you listening, I hope that you got something out of it as well. Remember, if you haven't subscribed on Apple Podcasts, go and subscribe. That way, the new episodes will go right into your homepage when you go into the podcasts. And also, leave a rating and a review. They're so appreciated. They let me be able to reach more people, which then allows me to make more episodes. So, please go do that. Also, if you don't follow me on Instagram... My handle is at the underscore pineapple podcast and I'm trying to add more um, content besides just the information about the guests on the podcast, which obviously is so important, but I'm trying to do a little bit more about um, my story and just infertility in general. So keep checking that and you can also email me at the pineapplepodcast.stories at gmail.com. If you're interested in sharing your story, please reach out whether you've gone through infertility in the past or you're currently in it. Um, reach out. I would love to talk to you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a awesome rest of your day and I'll talk to you guys next week.